You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're here to empower, educate, and encourage women to start talking about money. Discover more at fidelity.com slash it's time. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Her Money. So this is a little something different for us. This is something that we think we're going to call Her Money Headlines. And here's the deal. When there is a piece of news that we feel very strongly you either need to know about or to react to, we're going to try to jump on it and bring you the information in real time, which means getting it out there potentially before the next episode that we were planning to release. And today, as probably comes to very little surprise to most of you, we are going to be talking about the Equifax breach. So here's the background for those of you who don't know it. Last Thursday, September 7th, Equifax, which is one of the country's three primary credit reporting agencies, the other two are TransUnion and Experian, Equifax revealed that hackers had gained access to sensitive information for up to 143 million with an M, U.S. adults, and that includes social security numbers, driver's license numbers, and more. And when this sort of personal information is stolen, the risk is that an identity thief will use it to apply for credit, a mortgage, a job, a tax refund in your name. This is different. It is far worse than a fraudster just getting a hold of your credit card number or your debit card number in and making a purchase or two. In that case, you shut it down, you get a new credit card, you get a new debit card, and the credit card companies and the banks, which have these zero liability policies in place, absorb the loss. But full-blown identity theft, it can be hugely expensive and hugely time-consuming to deal with, which is why we went straight to the source. On the phone, we've got Frank Abagnale. He is an expert on forgery, embezzlement, and secure documents. For over 40 years, he has been working with hundreds of financial institutions, corporations, government agencies, you probably already recognize his name because his life's work began over 50 years ago when he was known as one of the world's most famous con men. He provided his life story was actually the story that you watched on the film and the Tony Award-winning musical Catch Me If You Can. He is on the phone with us from Vegas. Frank, thanks so much for being here. Happy to be here. Thank you. So. It seems to me, and I seem to be on the uh, mailing list for the Privacy Rights Clearinghouse and, and the other organizations in this country that monitor breaches, that they are coming more quickly than ever before and they are getting worse than ever before. Where does this breach fall in the pantheon of breaches? Well, there literally, we have had over a billion identities stolen. There are truly breaches, and this is without exaggeration, almost every day, some reported, not reported. What? First of all, this was so mishandled by Equifax. They should have reported it earlier. They should have let people know about it. 
But the the information that was hacked and taken away was not just names and uh, social security numbers and dates of birth, but who you have credit with, where you have your mortgage, what credit cards you had. They've already had to replace 240,000 credit cards that belong to people because their credit card numbers were in that file. So, and whatever number I found in my whole experience since TJ Maxx back many years ago, that whatever number they give you initially as to how much information was stolen, you have to take that number and times it by at least 10 because it's always going to be much greater than that, which you find out uh, later down the road. And one thing I've learned from all these breaches after following them for so many years and working with so many uh, companies uh, about breaches is that Every breach occurs because someone in that company did something they weren't supposed to do mm-hmm. or somebody in that company failed to do something they were supposed to do. I always say that hackers don't cause breaches, people do. So what happened in this case? I think this company did not have the proper technologies and firewalls in place uh, to keep hackers out. It's something you have to do. We have the technology to do that, but if you don't use the technology, then it's not going to work. And I think whether it was for cost reasons or they didn't want to spend the money or they believed it couldn't happen to them, they didn't take the proper steps to uh, protect themselves. And I think that was a, a fault of theirs. They could have probably kept these people out. When you, when you interrogate most hackers, they'll say to you, look, a typical big New York bank may spend as much as a half a billion dollars a year on technology to keep me out of their bank. I can't get by that, but they also employ 200,000 people around the world. So all I have to do is wait for one of those persons to do something they're not supposed to do, and that opens a door for me to get in. So I find that all these hacks caused are caused either by failing to do something they were supposed to do or someone internally doing something they shouldn't have, shouldn't have done. Here's the problem. If I, if I hack into a Home Depot or a Target and I steal credit card numbers and debit card numbers, that has a very short shelf life. Mm -hmm. I have to get rid of that immediately. But if I steal your name, your Social Security number, your date of birth, you can't change your name. You can't change your Social Security number. You can't change your date of birth. This is why criminals who steal mass data warehouse that data for usually three to five years because the longer they hold it, the more valuable it becomes. And then they will start to sell off that data little by little. So uh, this is what's so scary about it, that something may not happen right now. This is why I get always a little frustrated when I see someone reach forward and say, I'll give you one year credit monitoring service. Well, one year is worthless because, first of all, you already told the criminal, don't do anything with information because for one year these people will have credit monitoring. But they're not going to do anything with it for two or three or five years before they sell it off. So that's what makes it so scary. And then typically... Four years from now, somebody says, well, my identity was stolen, and they think it came from something else when it originally came from that breach a few years ago. So, Frank, knowing all of that, knowing that the data is likely to be warehoused, that it'll likely go onto the black market or or be used three, five, maybe even longer down the road, and that we can't change these very basic pieces of information about ourselves, what is the right thing for consumers to do? I truly believe you need to use a credit monitoring service today. I've used one since 1992. Uh, you have to basically trust that that service, first of all, find out from consumer reports and groups like that who are the best services, whether it be LifeLock or Privacy Guard or whoever it might be. 
But it's very important today to have someone monitor your credit. But to be honest with you, what I like most about those services, and as I say, I've used one since 92, is that I myself can be proactive. And literally every day I can go on my computer and pull up my credit reports. And I get all three reports, Equifax, Experian, TransUnion. I get my score for the day. I see all my credit. And at the bottom, I see all my inquiries, inquiries made from my bank, insurance company, applying for credit, applying for a job, someone doing a background check. So I can monitor that myself, but they're also monitoring it for me, and they're going to let me know if someone's attempting to use my number. So for whatever the charge is, $12 or something like that, um, I believe that a credit monitoring service, a good one, is a good way to start. The other thing is you can freeze your credit. I was going to ask about that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the problem I have with freezing your credit, and I've been a big advocator with the government about making this something that is consistent across all 50 states. So right now what you have is in one state they'll say to you, yes, you can freeze your credit. It's free, and you can freeze it for as long as you like and unfreeze it whenever you want. Then the next state over will say you can freeze your credit, but there's a $15 charge, and every 90 days you have to renew it. So that puts a lot of people off not doing it because of all these roadblocks that are put up. I think that everyone should have the right to freeze their credit for as long as they want to freeze it. And if they want to use their credit and they're going to go buy a car one weekend, they can unfreeze their credit to that car dealership so that they can make them a loan for that thing. That That's the safest way is to just block off anyone getting your credit that you don't want to have your credit. Because that way the identity thieves will not be able to use those details about your life, your social security number and your date of birth and your name to get a loan under your name, right? I mean, we can't stop them from getting the information, so we have to try to stop them from using the information. The information. And the other thing that concerns me, when people think about breaches like Equifax, they think about somebody getting my credit and using my credit to get a job, open an account, get a mortgage. I worry a little bit about the manipulation of that credit. So you have people who now own that credit in their possession, and somebody has five bankruptcies and uh, federal tax liens and their credit's horrible, and they're able to pay a fee on the black market and say, clean up my credit and uh, adjust it. So I think I'm a little concerned, too, about the manipulation of whether it be making it better or making it worse of someone's credit uh, once they have that credit uh, information in their hand as well. Can we come back to credit monitoring for just a second? So there are free credit monitoring services available. Credit Karma, for example, they are in the business of trying to sell you a credit card at a better interest rate or an auto loan at a better interest rate. Um, And what they will give you is free credit monitoring. Is that an option that you would advise people to use? Or do you need a LifeLock-type service where what you're paying for in addition to the monitoring is somebody on the back end to clean it up for you if something does happen. I think both are good. It just, I think both work. Uh, I would want to always make sure that with the service I'm using allows me to be able to access that credit as many times a day as I want to so that I can see my own credit reports and I can monitor uh, my own credit report and see what's going on besides them just monitoring it as well. So if I had both those, which I do through services that I use, then I think that's that's the best way to go. It's not that expensive, but it's unfortunate that in today's market, because of all these breaches and all of this information out there, 
you have to be a little more proactive. You can't rely on the police or the government to protect you. You have to step forward and try to protect yourself and make sure you monitor your own credit and make sure you know where and what that credit is being used for. What feels so frustrating and I think invasive about the Equifax breach is that they were supposed to be one of the good guys. I mean, they sell credit monitoring services. Right, exactly. And uh, they should have been beyond anyone else. They should have taken the proper steps to make sure that someone was not able to access their information. And I think that's where, just as disclosure, I've worked on Retainer for Experian, which is the world's largest credit bureau. And I work on their data analytics side, not their credit bureau side. But I know that Experian had problems years ago, but they went back and they made some very big adjustments and have gotten very big into the security and protecting of that that data. So I know it can be done, but it has to be very proactive by the company. I think that somebody at Equifax just slipped up and didn't want to spend the money to put the technology. I, I mean, I know that we have the technology to keep hackers out, but you have to use that technology. It's the same for a consumer. Uh, you have to have firewalls and you have to have antivirus things and you have to do all of your things when Microsoft says uh, update your system. You have to do those things, otherwise someone's going to get in. Clearly, somebody is going to get in. Just two other quick questions, and then I will let you go. There's a column in the New York Times written by Bob Sullivan, came out online last night, I assume it's in the paper today, about Social Security numbers and how it's time that we abandon Social Security numbers in favor of two-factor authentication or other sorts of identifying details, things that look at your irises or identify you in another way. Is, are Social Security numbers really going to go away? Yeah, I think so. I think now biometrics is a little difficult because you're asking someone to give you their eye retina or their fingerprints, and that person is saying, do I trust Visa or whoever with my personal DNA? That gets a little hard to sell, but there is a technology, for example, called Trusona, T-R-U-S-O-N-A, which is doing away with the need for passwords. It's 100% safe. It's used by the government. And it will eliminate the use of passwords. And once you eliminate the use of passwords, which are stagnant and cause most of the problems we have today, uh, I think that will replace the need to have a Social Security number because they will know who you are through this technology. And uh, people can go look online at their website. I think they have a two-minute video that explains how it works and how it's used off your iPhone or your, or your mobile phone. But I think in the next couple of years, you'll see all these passwords go away and be replaced like uh, with technologies like Trusona, and that will eventually replace the Social Security number. What does Trusona do? It's a technology that basically is able to determine that you are the a person on the other end of that device, whether it be a PC or a mobile phone, 100% accuracy. And it does it, uh, as we, when you watch it and understand how it works, you see that it cannot be manipulated, it cannot be changed. It's actually been tested for the last four or five years by some of the best government agencies around the world, by some of the best labs in the world. It's actually today the only verification system in the world that's insured by an A-plus insurance company uh, that will insure, say, a wire transfer or a track action done uh, by someone like Trusona. If you take a typical bank, in uh, a large bank, one of the ten largest banks in the country, they spend about $6 million a month in their call center just resetting passwords and dealing with password problems. So if you can say to a bank, I can do away with that password, right there the bank saves $6 million a month or $100 million a year. 
So I think those kind of technologies will eventually uh, be used for in the commercial side as they are now, but will eventually get down to the consumer, and that will do away with the need for Social Security. I don't think we're that far off from getting away from that type of identifier number. In the meantime, uh, we've heard from a lot of our listeners who are frustrated and worried that when they have gone to the credit bureaus to freeze their own credit, they are asked for social security numbers they want to know, or at least six digits of their social. They want to know if that's a safe thing to do. Yeah, I'm afraid, unfortunately, you have to provide information for all of them to be able to monitor your accounts and do that. They need that information. Again, if you're dealing with a legitimate company that has a good reputation and they're doing many internal controls to keep that information safe, there's always going to be a risk. There's a risk in everything we do. But, you know, it's kind of ironic because if you go, I'm not on social media, but if you go to Facebook, most people tell you on their Facebook page where they were born and their date of birth. So if I have your name, I know where you're born, I have your date of birth, that's 98% to me to get your identity. Actually, if you give me your last name and your zip code, I can probably find out a tremendous amount of information about you. So we complain a lot about people stealing our identities, but then we go on social media and we tell everything about ourselves and what kind of car we drive, what our children's names are, uh, where we where we may even bank, uh, all kinds of amazing information that hackers say. I get most of it just from going to people's Facebook. Frank Abagnale, Thank you so much. I wouldn't want to see what you could dig up on me online, I have to say. But always, always a pleasure to talk to you. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Bye bye. Bye bye. And just for everybody's information, because I, I do think this credit freeze is something that we should all be doing. You go to Equifax.com, Experian.com, TransUnion.com. I found just as I did this for myself and my family over the weekend, TransUnion is a little bit more difficult to work with online. At least it was for me. So I went through the phone number that they provide and found that incredibly easy. We're hearing again from our listeners, and we love that this has been a really interactive conversation. They are backed up right now, the credit bureaus. So if you haven't done this and you don't get through on the first try, Just keep trying. And from my perspective, it's worth the $5 or the $10 to unfreeze your credit before you go in and apply for a loan or a mortgage or a credit card because you're not going to be doing it that frequently anyway. Finally, to look at your credit reports in real time, annualcreditreport.com is a website where even if you're not subscribing to any sort of credit monitoring, you can get access to one copy of each of your credit reports from the three bureaus once a year. Rotate them. So look at one today, one four months from now, the other four months from then, and just repeat the process. It's Jean Chatsky. This is Her Money. We want to thank Fidelity Investments. You know, Fidelity sponsors this show because they want to make sure that we can bring you conversations like this in real time, because part of managing your financial life these days is protecting your financial life. And we need to be able to jump on it when things like this happen. And we hope they don't happen all that often. So thank you to Fidelity for your sponsorship. 
Our music is provided by Track Tribe. Our show comes to you through PRX, and we'll talk soon.